if you use the Deer Creek light with Deer Creek material or Loon light with Loon material, it should go 100%. But even then, I don't really notice it get to 100%. So when you get put in the sun, the sun has every light spectrum that you need. And so it definitely cures it completely. And so it takes away that almost... Sli uh, it, it makes it feel correct. It doesn't feel wet and slippery. It feels slippery because it's just a slippery material. And it doesn't feel tacky, like it didn't dry all the way. It feels... It feels like it's dry. That was Garrett Lesko sharing one of his Euronymph tie-in tips. Garrett's top 11 today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you can, please take a moment and leave a five-star review if you have listened to this show and been getting some value over the over the past years or or weeks. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash love where you can easily click and leave a review. And if you do this now, I'm going to send you a free hat, a wet fly swing hat and a sticker um, if you leave a review and send me a screenshot. So all you got to do is just take a screenshot and, and share it with me via email or on Instagram at wetflyswing. Um, that would be amazing. And while you're at it, why not just uh, like wetflyswing? If you jump over there on Instagram, that would be amazing. Appreciate you and your support. Uh, Garrett Lesko, a young fly tying phenom from the past, digs into Euronymph tying tips today. We heard about his baby bird fly, his... Uh, his top 11 nymphs uh, for your nymphing and a ton of resources that helped him get going really fast. And there's still awesome resources. We kind of cover everything you could imagine today as far as uh, uh, resources online. So without further ado, here is Garrett. Let's go. How's it going, Garrett? Going well. How are you, Dave? Good. Good. You ready to, uh, we're going to jump into some uh, Euro. I think the, the Euro nymphing is obviously always a hot topic whenever we do big uh, episodes on this. And we haven't done specifically fly tying. And I think we're going to try to dig into that today. We've had a few people like Devin Olson and just recently had Tom Jarman on where we talked more about tactics of fishing, but you know, we haven't dug into the fly. So I, I want to do that today. Maybe think of it as, you know, I don't know what the, if there are like a top 10 flies or some of the big ones out there as we go through this. But uh, before we get into that, um, because obviously you do a lot of that fly tying, um, talk about how you first got into fly fishing. Yeah. So I first got into fly fishing. Oh, I, I forget the times now because it's been, it's been a fair amount of time. I started when I was a freshman in high school. And so I just turned 26. So it's been anywhere between like 12 to 13 years. And I had, um, a buddy of mine, we went on a trip through my school. We went to Odell Lake, if you're familiar with Oregon Lake. So we went to Odell to do fish for kokanee. And he ended up bringing his fly rod and uh, brought it along on the trip uh, to fish like Odell Creek and fish around the mouth. He brought a float tube and stuff like that. And I just thought it was really cool. And so it kind of planted the seed. And then later that summer, I found a, uh, uh, a fly tank kit, like an old Thompson fly tank kit, like the original kit. And so it had the original like C clamp vise and some old scissors in it and then like the original bobbin. And so I was like, Oh, I'll try to tie a fly. And I cut off deer hair off of like spinners and used like sewing thread. And it was terrible, but luckily I had a local fly shop, uh, where I grew up in Albany, uh, two rivers fly shop and he sold custom like beginner kits. So I bought that. And then I had the buddy come over from school 
and show me how to kind of tie a woolly bugger. And that was kind of the, the gateway into it. And then I just really, really, really liked it. I was already into fishing, did a lot of like conventional fishing in general. Like I got really into like conventional bass fishing and, you know, I started off with a bobber and the worm or the bob, the sinker and a worm for like stock or trout and then went up to conventional bass fishing and got really into that. And then the fly fishing just grabbed me and took me like unbelievably like tight. Like it, it just, I, it just clicked really, really, really well. And so I started tying flies like everything I could find online because I was 14 at the time, 13, 14 years old. I didn't have, I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job, so I didn't have any money. And so it's not like I could go to like a fly tying class and, it, you know, the resources are limited anyways in general. And so I was like, well, I can, so I can go to the library. So I went to the library a bunch and got like books. I uh, learned a ton of stuff online, YouTube videos. So uh, I watched a lot of stuff from like the Caddis Fly Shop, Tightline Production, um, South Dakota, Anglers and Outfitters. Um, I'm trying to think, I forget his name, but there's there's a sh guy out there that does a bunch of fly tying stuff um and then fly fish food wasn't i don't think it was fly fish food at the point i think it was just curtis curtis fry because he had you he had youtube videos he's done they've been doing youtube videos for well over a decade now but they weren't called they weren't fly fish food at the time they were just it was just curtis doing fly tying videos with with clark you know cheech and they were uh at, so i watched their videos i just watched up on youtube and like davy mcphail was a big influence for me and then Jay Nicholas from Caddisfly was huge because he was down in Eugene and he was tying flies. So it felt very accessible. And so I, I started tying everything I get my hands on. And some of these patterns, I, I was tying more intermediate to advanced patterns when I really didn't know the basics. And so I just started, I realized the patterns did not look like what I wanted them to look like. They weren't as clean. They weren't as neat. They weren't as tidy. And so I went, Oh, I can, I need to figure this out. So I bought a fly box with the limited money I had and used the limited materials I had and just kind of did the basics. I found a bunch of old school patterns and just learned how to tie those as well as I possibly could. So I tied like, I think I did a box. It was like an old umpcloth foam double-sided box and it had pheasant tails and hare's ears and bird's nests and like dubbing cat, like very simple flies, but just to kind of hone in the basics. And when I filled that box, I used them when I went fishing and they caught fish and I found out, Oh, I, it doesn't really, I don't have to use the most advanced newest fly with the craziest material and the advanced techniques. I can just keep it very simple. And so, but once you learn those simple techniques, the more advanced flies became more accessible and easier and they looked better. And so, um, did a ton of fly tying, got into like trout flies and fly fishing. Cause that's kind of what fly fishing's really designed for is, uh, catching trout. And so now, but because as I mentioned previous to you, um, I was really in the conventional bass fishing world uh, with conventional tackle. And so I thought, oh, can't I fish for bass on a fly rod? And at the time, at least probably eight years ago, nine years ago, there was, it was still very niche. There wasn't a lot of guys fly fishing for bass at all. There's just, you know, there's a couple blog posts here, a couple videos there, and they essentially just said use a woolly bugger, a clouser minnow, or a popper. And that was it. That's all the information that they give you. They wouldn't tell you what a bass, how a bass eats and how a bass does this and what kind of flies to use and what are they targeting on. Everyone just was very basic because fly guys just didn't care. And so I started combining conventional tackle, you know, info, reading old books, looking at articles from 
like bass resource and other like most you know competitive bass fishing worlds and then combine them and then i kind of discovered um stack deer hair and that's if most people know me i'm probably most known for doing stacked deer hair flies so like at expos and shows that's what i do so i'm tying stuff like birds and divers and frogs and sliders and right kind of like kind of like the pat cohen style absolutely yeah he's he was a big influence so i spent probably a year tying really really terrible spun deer hair flies and then i got pat cohen's dvd i got one of his not one of his first runs but maybe his second or third run uh uh fugly packers like even before hairline carried them so i got them a long time ago and i still have it's it's an awesome tool it's bulletproof but I got all his stuff. I got everything he needed off his website was totally hook, line and sinker into it. And I still wasn't quite getting it. And then when I went to one of the expos, the Albany show, the big one, uh, I became friends with a guy named Sean West, who's out of Washington and he does stack deer hair stuff. It's as good as Pat Cohen. And, but it's a totally different style. It's much smaller stuff. It's not as, um, big, like Pat Cohen time flies in like the four aught six aught size where Sean ties stuff more in like, I think the biggest one he ties is like a size two. It's very interesting, but it's all smallmouth stuff because he lives up near the Columbia. So he fishes for smallmouth and he's super, super nice. And he sat me down as a, I might've been even still been a teenager at the time. Um, sat me down in front of him with my own vice and my own stuff. And he stacked a fly with me, like just one-on-one at the show, which was really cool. And then that's when everything just started clicking. And so I started, I spent probably a full year from that moment till the next expo tying barely enough flies that I needed to go trout fishing and catch like a couple smallmouth here and there. And then I spent the rest of the year just tying as many deer hair stack flies as I could. And it just, it got, I got really good at it. <laughs> I, I, that, at least that's what I've been told. I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but I got really good at it. And so, I started doing it more and more and more. And then obviously as you put more time into it, you get better and better at it. And so, and then I started tying birds and like one of the first birds I tied, I think um, if you're familiar with H and H outfitters, um, I'm friends with Alex, the guy who owns it. And so I stopped by his shop one time and I dropped off one of the flies because he was getting really into like bass fishing up around the Portland area. Cause that's where the shop was located at the time. And he, um, it, it's I look back at it now and I cringe because it was it was not the best looking bird fly, but um that was kind of where I was starting and I was going into it. And when Pat Cohn released that, I thought that was the like the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> and so I, I tied them because I thought they looked cool. And then I really started tying them when I saw a bass at a local pond here in Oregon eat a duckling. Like just I watched it looked like someone flushed the toilet on a duck and it just sucked it down. And I was like, okay, I was like, all right, this isn't just like a Midwest thing. This isn't just like pike eating ducklings or like big Florida bass doing it. This is bass will just eat them. And so I started tying them for fishing. And one of my big things that like, if I tie flies for people around here, um, the big place people want to tie, like I have a bird fly is Davis Lake over in central Oregon. Cause it's a fly fish only Lake and it's, has a great bath, like largemouth population. And one of the big things that bass eat are little baby red winged blackbirds that fall, fall into the tulies that are like around the entire lake. It's like a, you know, very swampy around the, the rim of these uh, cascade lakes. So Davis is not the exception. And so you can go in there like really early in the morning or late in the evening and throw these birds because they have, you know, heavy duty weed guards. They have, 
they're ready to they're designed to be thrown into cover you can throw them deep into the cover and then just work them uh through there and you can get bath that'll come up and take them and so it's it's pretty awesome and then I've tied birds for people like going to, I think he went to Christmas Island, but he's going after GTs. And because of that very viral blue planet video that came out of giant Trevally eating those seabirds, he want, he wanted birds. So I, I tied one of the biggest flies ever, like biggest deer hair flies. It was a six odd, uh, stacked deer hair, like blackbird, all black. Where can you see that fly? Any, anywhere online? Do you have it out there on your site or? Oh yeah. Yeah, on my social media, I have, um, if you just scroll through it, you can find it. Um, on Instagram? Yeah, on Instagram. And then if you go to my website, Oregon Fly Tying, it should be one of the banner photos or something like that. Like, I have one. I just scrolled down my Instagram just now, just a couple rows. And back in, oh, good grief, back in March, I posted, like, a duckling in a nest that I did at a show. Oh yeah, I see it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. So that little yellow, olive yellow, kind of. That's it. So that that's the that's like a that's like a duckling sized one. I don't know if if that's a, a, a you know a reasonable size, but a, it's a something duckling like that. One. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And so then I I just scaled it up. I used like a big A Rex pike hook, and it was it was a it was a feat to undertake. I was I was impressed that I was able to do it, but. Yeah, it was one of those ones where it's like, I don't know if I could do this that often. Then I got, uh, I found Euronymphine, oh gosh, probably three, four years ago. And didn't like it, didn't do much of it. And then I started watching uh, Lance Egan and Devin Olson's uh, Modern Nymphine um, videos. And that really helped me get into the the technique better. And I've just kind of taken that and ran. And so if you're scrolling through the same social media, you'll see like the Euronymphs that I've been tying, like I fill boxes and boxes of them. And it's, it's awesome. I, I love nymph fishing with like an indicator, you know, learning how to fly fish and Euronymphine is just like the advanced version of that. And it's, I, I just, I really like doing it. I'm glad you mentioned the Euronymphs. I was, I was wanting to, to dig into that a little bit, especially as, yeah, yeah, you look at your, your stuff here, you have, and we might circle around back on, um, on the bass if we have time, but uh, maybe you can just start yeah. us off with the Euronymphs and talk about how, you know, if somebody wanted to tie some, let's just think about the fly tying of the Euronymphs. What, because they seem like they're really basic, but can you walk us through just the steps of, of what it takes to tie one? I don't know if you want to pick a fly or something like that and just talk about generally what it is. Yeah. So uh, I'll start with probably the most entry level one. It was kind of my entry level into it. Um, I mean, I tied Euronymphs before it without knowing what I was tying. Like, one of the first Euronymphs I tied was a Polish pheasant tail, which is, I think, the most popular video on Davy McVale's YouTube page. And so, but I, I don't, I've never seen it tied commercially, and I've never seen it tied, um, like, I've never seen it in, like, a shop. I don't hear m- many people talking about it, surprisingly. But probably the most entry-level one for most people is, like, a Frenchie. Lancy Frenchie. And so... Uh, it, it, it's very simple, but some of the main concepts for a a Euronymph, there's some concepts that, that people need to dial in, and I see this all the time. I'm in a lot of Facebook groups. At least it feels like a lot, probably a dozen or more active, like really active Facebook groups. And you'll see a lot of flies get tied, and even some of my flies, I'll look back at them and go, well, I could probably have done better. But one of the big things that they talk about is thin on these flies and keep them as thin as possible. And I equated that as, Oh, I, I can make them dense and 
overcompensate the lack of thinness. So if, for example, if I have lead wire underneath them and then a very thin body over the top, that's a very dense fly. So it should sink really quickly. And it does, it sinks faster than a conventional fly because it has a tungsten bead and lead wire and it's dense. But in reality, um, even thinner flies with less weight will sink faster. And so that's something that I've just learned over time and seen reinforced through um, other people's, you know, uh, experiences either competing or fishing on their own or talking about it on their uh, platforms and things like that. And so um, when it comes to tying a Euronymph, the big thing is tungsten beads. That's probably the most, uh, that's probably the biggest roadblock getting into this because of the, the cost. Tungsten beads are very expensive compared to brass beads. You can buy a 24 pack of hairline Cyclops beads for i don't know probably three bucks right dave i don't know how much brass beads are yeah yeah i don't even know i've got so many i've got so many beads i don't even have to buy them anymore <laughs> right i'm kind of at the same point you are so i'm assuming that at least when i was tying a lot of flies they were like two to three bucks and so i mean tying with brass probably two to three bucks a pack i can't imagine much more than that maybe 350 but you get 24 beads and then if you want the same amount of tongue you know if you want to a comparable tungsten pack, it's usually half the amount of beads. So it's not even 12, it's probably closer to 10 beads or, or maybe 20 beads if you're lucky, but then it's double or triple the price. And so it's it's very uh, daunting to get into it, but in something I didn't want to do, it's kind of like using fluorocarbon because you can buy a spool of mono for five bucks or you can buy a fluorocarbon for 15. You think, why would I ever buy fluorocarbon? But once you start using these products and they, you know, and you're willing to bite the bullet and price it. And for me, it was essentially just getting to the age where I had a job and I could afford to do it on my on my own and not have to wait for birthdays or Christmas to get um, that kind of stuff. I I was able to start buying tungsten and fluorocarbon and things like that. It made it a lot better. But like for a Frenchie, uh, jig hooks are really big. I, I really like pulling mill hooks. That's just a personal preference of mine. But I also use some, um, some like wholesale hooks and like... Um, like no name hooks, just buying them in bulk. And they, and I haven't had any problems with them. And people have said that before on here. Yeah. People have said they, um, that's a big tip is like, don't buy the cheap hooks because you know, if you got this a fish out there, that's this, they're going to, they might bend out on you. Right. Right. And so it's because of the whole, it's everything working together. And so like when I sell flies for people who go over, you know, overseas and out of the country, go abroad for GTs or Peacocks or Dorado or whatever, you know, bass, pike, any of that anyways, I, I never understand the idea of buying really cheap bargain basement flies to go and do that. You're spending thousands of dollars to go on these trips, these some people it's the trip of their lifetime. Sometimes it's the big trip of the year. Sometimes it's the big trip of 10 years and you think, all right, I'll spend $2 a fly. And you, then you'll go and try to fish for Dorados or peacocks or GTs or something, you know, serious like that. And you get the big one. And that's a weak point in your setup. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to be willing to spend all that money on a trip, but not spend the money on the fly. But it's, it's done more often than not. And so when it comes down to like a, a urinoving setup, everything about it is all tied together. It's something that I, I noticed over doing it is the rod is very important. The line is important. The leader is very important. The, the, 
the diameter of tippet and the type of tippet's important, the hook's important, the bead's important, how you cast and drop the fly, the the hook gauge makes a difference. How important is the fly on these on in your own thing? As far as like the what the fly is, it's not. So it doesn't matter if it's like it's the French Euro Waltz worm. So it doesn't really matter. So why would you want to, you know, why do they have uh, all these different uh, patterns? It seems like you could just put on any any pattern. Is that, uh, do you find that the case? No, I, I mean, you can put, certain patterns work better. So for example, when I'm on the Crooked, I, I fish a lot of betas Im- imitations because the Crooked River over here in Central Oregon has uh, a lot of betas on it and the fish tend to respond to it really, really well. What would be a betas uh, Euronymph? So like an Iron Lotus is a really good version of it. That's another Lance Egan fly. I really like his flies. He does. He, he's done a really good job with it. So Lance Egan's Iron Lotus is one of my personal favorites on the river. Okay. And then I used, and then I also use like a Silver Bullet Betis, which is essentially a thread Frenchie with very specific color patterns. It's just it's an olive olive and black fly. What is a Betis? Is that a, a Betis Mayfly? Yeah, yeah, Mayfly, like blueing olive. So it's in the same uh, family as that. So if you have a river that has a lot of blueing olives, so mostly a lo- out here in the West, a lot of tailwaters have high amount of betas, you know, betas, nymphs in them, as you're aware, Dave. And so they have that. And then uh, blueing, uh, not blueing olives, uh, pale morning duns is probably the, probably the next most common mayfly that I see that, that's consistent during the summer and consistent throughout the year. Yeah, let's start there with just the say, you know, we're talking about some popular flies. If you had to say somebody who's never been Euro nymphing, they're just gonna be going out on some river around the country or world, you know, what are what are say ten or the top flies you'd say if they're just gonna pick Euro nymphs they want to use? Like you you mentioned a couple, you got the Iron Lotus, you got the the Frenchie, you got um anything oh, I'm not sure what else you've said there, but could you give us so, that? Yeah. Yeah, so I really like Waltz worms. They're just I really, really like them. And so a lot of guys on the East Coast and a lot of guys in Europe will fill entire boxes with just waltz worms of different sizes and thicknesses and thinnesses and weights and bead sizes to hook ratios. They'll just fill three or four fly boxes and just put thousands of them in their in their pack. And that's all they'll fish. And so that, that that's a really impressionistic pattern. And so I like that one a lot. And there's a lot of customizing to it so if you were to buy a waltz worm in like a fly shop it'd probably be a couple bucks but it's probably just sil- a silver bead with hair's ear on a hook yeah and i'll put like a, it's very simple i'll put a link to anything we're talking about in the show notes so people can take a look at it so if you have so if you have a waltz worm or iron lotus or frenchie anything else we want to throw this list oh yeah yeah so i i just pulled up my um my presentation i do for some clubs about euro nymphine and i have a whole thing on flies and so um, another good one that I like a lot is, um, as far as a general, like mm-hmm. just like general, a, a cha- yeah, like a chassis to build your, uh, fly off of yep. is a, t- is a tag nymph. And it might be easier, Garrett, just as time, because we're going to probably run out of time here in a half an hour just to maybe walk through a, uh, the flies and then I'll put a link, um, to all these so people can dig into a little more as far as what they look like and things like that. Yeah. So as I said, so tag nymph, it's like a CDC soft tackle with a, with a bright tag. And then uh, a paradigm is something I really like. And uh, you can tie it in t- different variations. You can tie them bright or you can tie them dull. Um, that was a great fly last weekend when I was out fishing on the Deschutes. That, that fly crushed. Um, I really like a rainbow warrior. 
a Duracell. Um, so those two different flies, Duracells and Rainbow Warriors. Um, a Polish pheasant tail is really nice. But more, it's a you know a, a less bright version of a Frenchie. And then as far as stone flies go, uh, Pat Stone in a golden stone color, at least in my area, is awesome. But they, they sell this uh, stonefly chenille now, and it comes in, I think, 10 different colors. So it just match it to whatever your fish tend to like. And then I'd probably say maybe a squirmy, which I know is blasphemous. Everyone in my fly tank group gives me, you know, they really bust me on that one. They give me a, a pretty hard time about it because I'm the youngest guy in my fly tying group by quite a few years. And so when I tie a squirmy or they give me a hard time about it, that's it, it's funny. but uh it's a great fly in the winter on a specific river near me it's just something about it works so i i, I really like fishing that and i and i don't know how many flies i'm up to now but i probably ten. you got 10 you hit it all right okay yeah <laughs> if we want to get more we could we could dig in more to your uh well where would you send people if they want to dig in more to what you have going is that presentation out there online anybody anywhere people can no so I've, I've just been doing it for clubs in lieu of uh, having expos and shows to go to the last two years. Are you doing clubs mostly in Oregon or around the country? Oregon, Washington uh, have been mostly where I've been doing them just because uh, those people either know me or know of me or another club has told them. So, for example, I'm doing a presentation in uh, Sisters because uh, coming up here in June and then I have another one uh, that's a Zoom presentation in uh, in Washington. So both of those are coming up in June and I'm only doing this, the sisters one because I did two presentations for the sun river club and the sun river club talked to the sisters club. And so if, if somebody wanted to look out, say way out into maybe, you know, later in the summer. So when this goes out, they can maybe follow up or maybe even watch it on zoom. Is there any clubs out there coming up that you would, you would note? Uh, currently not, not the moment, but if they're part of a club and they want more information, feel free to reach out to me. And I'm willing to do stuff. The Zoom has made it much more accessible for a lot of clubs because they don't have to worry about logistics of getting the pres presenter out to them. They can just do it on a on a Tuesday night at seven kind of thing. And so that's what I've been doing, or, you know, or something similar to that. And so, um, I, yeah, that that's 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 probably the best way if you if you like the presentation version. Right? Otherwise, it's direct contact through me through like my email. We'll have contacts. In, we'll have the contacts in the uh, uh, on the blog post. People can connect with you real easy. Um, so let's dig, just dig into a little more on the fly. I mean, you've mentioned you know we got ten flies now, and the Frenchie is obviously one of the most popular ones. Is there one you want to pick out that you think is one of your favorites? And talk about kind of materials like so. If somebody's going to get into tying your own nymphs, and they have say they don't have anything, and they want to get some materials so they can tie your own nymphs. What what do you recommend? Do they just get normal nymph materials, or do they have to get specific stuff? So normal nymph materials is fine. And so like pheasant tail, I'd get a, get a, a few different colors of pheasant tail and even some colors you wouldn't think. So like I, I really like dyed brown, even though the natural is brown. I like the dyed brown a lot. I like gray a lot in, in pheasant tails. But those are like some variations. But like a big material that is used in a lot of flies is uh, Coque de Leon, which is used as a tailing material. It's a very durable tailing material. Um, and then it has a great coloration to it. So it's not, it's not just one, it's not monochromatic. It, it has a lot of speckling and barring. And so, and it's really durable. So guys in the Euronymphian world really, really like it. And I'm one of them. I really like Coke de Leon. 
it's just it's yeah it's a great material so you use it on stuff like a frenchie a duracell tungsten surveyor a polish pheasant tail how many strands do you put in that are you typically putting uh, just a few or a lot probably around six i don't know pieces per i would say hurls but they're not a hurl but like six individual strands or not strands but yeah um fibers tips tips yeah six fibers where, where do you start when you get this hook so you've got this hook which is a and, you, and what is the hook is it is are you using arex or what are your hooks what's your if somebody want to get the exact model if people are, are wanting to fish the same kind of hooks i use uh fulling mill is what i tend to tell oh, that's people right. for, for the is, price or the style it it's they're pretty hard to beat What's the, is there a number or type if they want to get the, like, say they want to tie? Oh gosh. Um, yeah, I can, I can find it for you real fast, but it's, uh, it's their jig hook is what I use a lot. Okay. And what about sizes? Do you have a certain size or is there, how, how many different sizes are you tying? Like if you had say the Frenchie or the Lotus, the iron Lotus, I mean, are you tying, how small are you going and how big are you going? So, for example, the uh, most urinimphine hooks don't get below an 18. 18 is pretty small in the urinimphine world, just in general, because because of you have to have a fly big enough to have enough weight on it to be able to sink at the right speed and depth that you're trying to fish. And if you go too small at that point, the weight becomes uh, less significant. So. The smaller you get, the less difference you have between tungsten and brass, for example. Like, I mean, I'm like a 1.5 millimeter bead is very similar in size to a, I mean, in, in density or in weight to a tungsten to a brass at, at that size. So 18 is pretty small. I tie mostly 16s, 14s, and 12s. Okay, 12s. It's just something to tie 12s, 14, to. 16s. Okay, so we got 12s, 14s, 16s, and then... And then, yeah, when you see that jig hook, we can talk about that. But it's it's a pretty specialized hook, right? And it is a, a fulling mill jig hook. Right. It's a fulling mill jig hook. Their their code is an FM5045. It's their jig force. Okay, cool. I'll put a... And it's... Yeah. And so, yeah, it's a... It's a... It's a... Yeah, a 60 degree jig hook. It's, it's designed to ride hook point up when you put a slotted tungsten bead on there. So you're going to need a tungsten bead. And they only sell slotted tungsten they don't sell a slotted brass bead and what are the slotted tux, uh, tungsten beads you're using is there a, a company and size and like so let's just go with let's just take it down break it down let's say that 14 will take the middle so so you're tying a size 14 with that hook what what jig uh, what bead are you using so a lot of people so that's the thing in your nymphine is which is really cool when you use a jig hook you can oversize and undersize your bead really easily and so if you're fishing shallow water, you might want some flies with smaller beads, where if you're fishing really deep water, you might want some oversized beads. But I'd say the middle of the road for me, what I like is like a 3.3, a 3.5 millimeter bead, which comes out to about a one eighth size if you're using the imperial measurements over metric. But because it's called Euronymphine, everybody uses metric system now. It's something I've pushed over. I use millimeters now for all my bead sizes. I don't, it's, it's hard for me to think of them in the, in the imperial measurements now because a the millimeters are way easier to visualize for me compared to like three thirty seconds or seven sixty four. yeah no yeah we don't want to that, that's kind of craziness anyways we're in a we do a wacky system so um i would say the 3.2 that fulling mill sells is pretty great i just pulled a pack out of my drawer so 3.2 for a size 14 then you can go up or down from that depending on 
on how shallow right. or deep. So if you're fishing, yeah, if you're fishing some tiny riffles, you might go, well, and what would be the next, how small might you go on that? If you're tying a 14 on millimeters, how much smaller? Oh, probably maybe a, maybe a two millimeter. That's pretty small. Okay. Two. So we got two. All right. So that, <clears throat> that gets us the, you know, that the bead and then on the tail. So we, let's just say we're going with the Coke de Leon tail and then, yeah. Um, and then I'm not sure what fly you mentioned. Which fly has the the Coke de Leon tail? A, a few, but uh, we were t- kind of talking about the Frenchie. And so I've been kind of focusing on that one. And so you have the bead, you have the hook. Those are probably the most expensive part of your your fly. And then you have the Coke de Leon tail. And Coke de Leon sometimes gets hard to find just because so many people like it. And there's only so many birds in the world. So they... <laughs> so uh, they'll, ha- they'll run... Like recently they ran out, probably in the in the late winter, they ran out of Coke de Leon tailing packs from whiting, but you could still get Coke de Leon from like hairline and other dealers that get it from Spain and they get it from birds that molt the feathers. So the feathers just naturally fall off and then they collect those and then they sell them. So you can get them. They just range in price. Um, the most economical way to do it probably would be uh, buying like a full saddle or a full neck of Coke de Leon. They're, they're anywhere from like 25 to 40 bucks, but you can get a ton of others. So we got the Coke de Leon and then we got uh, the body material is pheasant tail. Yeah. And so uh, on the classic Frenchie, Lance Egan's Frenchie, he uses melanistic pheasant, which is impossible to find. So the substitute to that is, uh, is gray pheasant tail. So dyed gray pheasant tail. And I buy that usually by, I buy a lot of that when I need it. So it's just something that I like because I don't want to run out of it when I tie the fly. So that, that's the body. Okay. That's the body. And then it's wrapped with a uh, copper, copper wire, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I counter wrap the pheasant tail. So that I wrap the pheasant tail, the opposite direction I wrap my thread. And then I, uh, wrap the copper wire, which I use small copper wire, not, not brassy or anything like that. I use pretty small, thin copper wire and I wrapped it the same direction of my thread. And, and the reason behind that is for durability. But if you counter wrap the copper wire, um, when you go to tie it off, your thread will tend to push the copper wire a little bit, and therefore it puts in slack into the copper wire. And then that slack translates through the whole body, and then it, the copper wire becomes loose, and then it can break off. So if you wrap the copper wire the same way you wrap your thread, when you wrap your thread and your copper wire together, it just tightens it even more. Oh, okay. So you're basically wrapping, you're counter-wrapping the, uh, the, the pheasant tail. Correct, because it's a weaker fiber. Gotcha. So, okay. So you counter wrap the pheasant tail and then you wrap the copper wire the same as your thread. That way, when you wrap it, tie it off, it, it actually is secure. Is there any other tricks when you tie it off? Do you do like just the helicopter bend on that or how do you do that? Yeah. So that's the thing. When you, if you counter wrap your copper wire and you go to do the helicopter and you don't tie it down tight enough with your thread, you're just putting more and more slack in there. And then when you put all that slack, that's when you get these flies that don't act as durable and you, and you get, you'll tie a fly or you'll buy a fly and you'll think to yourself, why did this fall apart after, you know, three fish? It's probably because they wrapped the copper wire, the opposite direction they wrapped their thread and they've just created like micro slack in it. So one of the things I've picked up is I, uh, I'm an electrician currently. I'm, I'm transitioning out of that, that uh, job, but I'm an electrician. And one of the things they talk about when you wrap copper, you know, the copper wire around a screw on like an outlet or something, they want you to go uh, clockwise because that's the same direction you tighten the screw. And so when the screw tightens, it tightens the loop of copper wire around that. So you get a much more secure connection. And that's just something that translates into fly tying. You want a secure connection. So you want to go the same direction of your of your torque 
so of your thread. So then uh, after that, uh, you're going to want dubbing. And so the underbody of this obviously is just thread, and you're trying to keep this as thin as possible. So you want to tie everything in in chunks. So I'm tying in the tail material as I go down. I'm tying in both the pheasant tail and copper wire as I go up. Then I'm wrapping those materials up and then tying them off. And then for the collar, uh, the traditional pattern, or say traditional, the original pattern calls for um, UV shrimp pink ice stub. And it's very specific. It's from Hairline. And the reason why is that is one of those, um, I would say magic materials, <laughs> but it's it's kind of like um, peacock curl or pheasant tail or white goose biots, something about UV pink shrimp ice stub, which actually looks more orange than pink. Yeah, it's cool. It, it looks it looks sweet. It it's very buggy. It has a lot of like it throws light in a very unique way that a lot of there's not a lot of materials out there that do it. And so a lot of there's like a running joke through fly fish food where Lance Egan works now, and they would put shrimp pink ice stub on any any fly just to see if it would make it better and it it does it's it's a great material so if you it's not like i'll blend it in with other dubbing or i'll use it on its own on certain flies it, it works really 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 well and so uh but uh if you go through my social media or go through any of my stuff where i'm i'm out you know do, doing fly tying things you can tie whole boxes of frenchies of different colors so you can change up the tail the body, the collar, and then the hot spot color. And you can change all those independently of each other. Yeah, I'm not sure. And I'm looking, I remember I had, um, I think it was uh, Curtis on a long, a while back. Uh, he noted, and I think they still do this at the Fly Fish Food. I'll put a link to this Frenchie, but I think you can go down. And if you go to that post, you can put select all, you know, for the materials. And it, you can just instantly buy you know what I mean? So if you want to get all these, that's a cool thing that those guys do. And I'm not sure, probably there's probably more people doing that now. Um, in I fact, would hope so. It yeah. seems like a great way to make a lot of money. So. So, in fact, we're coming out, we've got to do sponsor. I'm just kind of thinking in the future now when this comes out, uh, we won't have them, but we've got a, a company up in Canada that's a fly tying company that we're going to be uh, for the, the coming this fall. That uh, So I'm going to be, I'll talk to them more about um, to make sure they have that same uh, capability. Cause that's a great, definitely a great thing to have to make it easy. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. And, uh, you know, so we got, that's kind of the fly. You got a hot spot, basically you got the, I guess it's orange or pink thread. Um, what, it's, what, uh, yeah. yeah, I red. I, I really like red as a hot spot. It's, it's yeah. Ultra or what are you using for thread? I'm using Vivas. I love Vivas thread. And so I'm using, uh, so that's the working thread of the whole fly. And then I do a pretty defined collar on the fly. And the reason why I like red in particular is it seems to catch fish really well. It's not super bright, but it's not dull. It doesn't fluoresce, but it's not invisible. It's just, it, it, I think it adds a lot of contrast and I think fish like that, but red thread is kind of special. I was talking to somebody else about it and it's just something about it. So that so that's kind of the Frenchie. What about when you get to these flies where they're using they're more of the slick back body or kind of uh, doing the UV? Can you talk about one of those? One of the flies you mentioned. Does, do any of those have those flies where they're wrapped the bodies more of that clean? Uh, maybe the par is the Paragon or I can't remember. Yeah, Paragon. And so interestingly enough, because I'm part of your uh, a Facebook group, one of them is the Wet Fly Swing Facebook group, and yep. you asked something about um, oh gosh, you're interviewing. Uh, Deschutes Angler. I oh, yeah. forget her name. Yeah, yeah, Amy. 
So you probably have interviewed her already at this point yeah. and probably even already asked her my question by the time this show comes out. But I asked about the glow bright, the glow bright blue uh, Paragon, And that's something that, so because of who I'm associated with in the fly fishing world, I tie flies with a, a few guys that work at hairline. And I was at a fly tying group. This was pre COVID um, eating dinner with them. And he mentioned, uh, that Deschutes Angler was buying blue, uh, fluorescent blue glow bright out of house and home. They, they would, they're buying tons and tons of it so they can tie this paradigm that they tie and they fish on the Deschutes and they were crushing fish on it. And so I heard him say that and I went, all right, I'll give it a go. So I bought some of the same material and I tied a few flies left in my box and that fly is a sleeper. That thing catches so many fish. That's awesome. I'll put a link to that uh, if I can, if I can get time when we, I edit this. I'll put a link into Amy's answer so we can listen to it. I'll also put, I'll also put a link out to the to that website or that episode as well. Yeah, that that flies that fly is really really good. I use it on a tailwater that flows right through town. I live right on the South Sandia River, or right by it. It's like five minutes from my house, and it's just all it is is the body is um, a silver bead on a jig hook. <clears throat> And so it's the, the tail is, is very sparse Coke de Leon. So you're using anywhere between three to four fibers. You're using very little on the tailing material. So instead of using something thicker, like on a Frenchie, you're using very thin on a Paragon because Paragon is Spanish for pellet. And so it's not pellet like a food pellet. It's pellet like a shotgun BB. It's almost like pellet like a BB. So when you type in Paragon into like <laughs> into Google, it shows you like a shotgun with its pellets poured out of it and so it sinks like a little lead ball because it's a tungsten bead and then a thin tail and then you wrap the body up with whatever material so if we're using the glow bright version you're just i put glow bright on a spool it's a single strand floss and i wrap it up taper the body a tiny bit towards the bead uh tie it off and then i add a, a, a hot spot to that which is crazy it's a very bright fly i put, I put an orange collar on it just like they do over on the deschutes and then I'm coating that entire fly with uh, a thin UV resin. So something like, um, I really like Solarez, uh, uh, I think it's called Bone Dry. It's their thin, which I really, really like that. I, but I used Yoon, Loon Flow for a while. Deer Creek has one. I mean, there's a ton of UV resins out there now. But uh, the Solarez is really, really nice. And so I put... Um, just one coat of that on there. And then if it needs another coat, I do another one because it's a, it's a porous material. It's not like using um, like a, a synthetic flash. It, it'll soak it up. So you'll probably put one coat on there, let it cure, put a second coat on, and then it should be good to go. Um, and it's a very, very simple fly. There's three materials if you include the thread. So, um, but the trick to those, what I have noticed is no matter what kind of UV light you have, you can, uh, the flies sometimes end up either a little, they feel like they're still wet almost, or like a little tacky sometimes. Bone dry is pretty good about not leaving any tack behind, but what I have found is what I what I do is I call cooking the fly. I take the fly box or the flies all lined up or something like that, and I put it in the windowsill just for a couple hours or a day when it's sunny out. And that time out in the sun because how, from what my understanding is and i don't know how accurate this is but every uv resin has a different wavelength of light that it cures with and so you get these you get the light 
whatever brand you have. You may have like a Loon light or a Deer Creek light or, or an off-brand light or a laser. And it'll cure it, but it'll cure it 90% of the way. And then if you use the Deer Creek light with Deer Creek material or a Loon light with Loon material, it should go 100%. But even then, I don't really notice it get to 100%. So when you get put in the sun, the sun has every light spectrum that you need. And so it definitely cures it completely. Mm. And so it takes away that almost, sli- uh, it, it makes it feel correct. It doesn't feel wet and slippery. It feels slippery because it's just a slippery material. And it doesn't feel tacky, like it didn't dry all the way. It feels it feels like it's dry. And so yeah. I... That's what I do. I take my Paragon box that I have and I'll put it in the windowsill for while I go run errands. The sun hits it and then the sun moves on and then take it out and everything's rock solid. Yep. Gotcha. That's a good that's a good tip. Okay. So yeah, anything else as far as I mean we've talked a little about tying. These are pretty basic uh tying. You yeah. Know, I mean anything else you want to throw out there that we should be thinking about? Yeah, um I would say I experiment with colors on them because one of the flies that I like that is not super well known is a tag nymph, and I call it a purple and copper. And the body's like a dark black, the bead's a copper bead, and then all the accents and like hot spots are purple with um, a CDC collar. And that fly, there's no one like bragging about this fly. A tag nymph is very similar to like a blowtorch or a red dart, but this is just my color version of those flies. And that fly does really, really well for me. I was fishing it. I mean, it's one of my confidence flies. It's a fly I'll put on if I don't know anything. I was on the middle of the shoots last weekend. And while I was on the middle of the shoots, that was one of the first flies I tied on. And I caught a fish or two, but then I, I switched over to Paragons because it seems like they're into mayflies more. And I caught a ton of fish on that. But this fly is, a, I mean, find, experiment with colors and different variations. Um, expand your horizons on where to, um, get inspiration so i am i was mentioning in the last presentation i gave last month um about where i find fly patterns i like to tie is i follow a lot of american fly tires but i follow a ton of european and a ton of australian fly tires not just for euronymphing but just for anything and granted there's a lot of euronymph patterns in in their bunch of flies but like um IB and Andy, which is a YouTube channel over in England, they have some great Stillwater flies that I really like, and they have a lot of Uranium flies that I like. I really like, um, oh my gosh, Crazy About Fly Fishing, I think is uh, a New Zealand or an Australian uh, YouTube channel that has stuff, and then Fly Shop Europe and Kite Hooks, and I'm trying to think, uh, Lindsay Simpson is, a, I think, a Scottish uh angler has a ton of cool patterns and so I, I pull a lot of inspiration from them and so there's a fly that i started tying and i have it in on my desk right now but i i call it a kiwi nymph because i didn't know the name of it i just saw it in one of their videos i paused the video i took a screenshot of it and then i tied the fly based on that screenshot and it's this really cool bright pink bead hot spot like caddis fly that i really really like and so I it's a, it's not sold stateside. I can't find it anywhere. So it's something about, you just have to kind of look in, under, just like you're looking for bugs on a river. You should be looking for bugs on the internet the right. same way. You should <laughs> lift over a rock and look around for them because there's some really cool patterns out there that no one's tying over here. 
Cool. Yeah, that fly is. Uh, well, I'm just looking at the tag nymph. So that's more of a. Is that typically a um, a peacock body, or is the the body I change? So I do. Um, let me see here. So I do a lot of dubbing bodies on mine. So for example, um, I use either thread or dubbing or like a quill. I've done that before, but um, or even peacock curl, but um, mostly dubbing. So I'm using different types of ice dub. And then I make a custom dub of deer of hare's ear. So th- the, way, the way I do that is I take a hare's mask and just buy a hare's mask at the store. And then I shave the mask. I cut everything off. I take away the whiskers, but I cut all the hair off the mask. And then I sit here with a coffee grinder and grind it in batches to blend it all together. And then I add either a custom blend of hair's ear and antron or i cut my own antron yarn up and then blend it in as well and that's my hair's ear that i use and it, it, it's it dubs unbelievably well and it looks really good in the water and it's very buggy but not so buggy it's not like squirrel it's not such a guard hair heavy material but it's not a um but it still has the guard hairs but it's soft enough to still dub because some of the like I would say store-bought hair's ears are so coarse, you can't even dub them on your thread. And the, when you custom blend it yourself, you it's soft enough to, to dub onto your thread. So I do stuff like that, or I use, like for example, the purple and copper, that's, uh, that's ice dub. That's just a, a blend of ice dub. Well, let's take it out of here in the uh, the two two two, which is uh, top tips, flies, and resources. And uh, maybe you know you mentioned we've talked about a lot of them, but if you had to say, you know, tomorrow you're hitting, say the you know your home water, uh, whatever, you know, what would you, what are two you'd kind of be thinking about? So yeah, so actually, I am going to go fishing tomorrow up on a local water. I'll go with that. Um, I'd say the two flies I'd probably have on based on my last fishing trip, pro- just based on that alone, I'd probably have an orange light bright paradigon as probably my top fly. And then my anchor fly, um, depending on the water flows and how much the water's moving, I'd probably either have like a tag nymph or maybe a waltz worm with a light pink bead. Um, if you can find a metallic light pink bead somewhere, um, Foley mill carries it, hairline carries it, but they're kind of hard to find because I think a lot of people are realizing that they catch a lot of fish. There's something about a light pink metallic bead that catches catches a lot of fish. And so I probably do like a JP Newberry's uh, waltz worm that he does. I think he calls it like a sexy Betty or a sexy waltz or so- something like that. So I put that as my point fly, my anchor fly, and then I pr- might have a paragon as my top fly, like a light bright orange. Perfect. And all, uh, yeah, and Devin and uh, Lance, I think, both talked about some of the setups uh, on how to do it. I'll put links to that so yeah. people can follow up there. And so, and then what about uh, tips? So if you're out there and we're, we're talking tying, so let, let's just think of fly tying. Any any fly tying tips, yeah. either Euro nymphing specific or just in general? So I mentioned a couple, which was, uh, you know, wrapping your, your, your strengthening material, whatever that may be, if it's copper wire or monofilament or whatever. Um, wrap that the same direction as your thread to, to strengthen it. That, that was a good one, but I'll try to give two more. Um, I would say less is more when it comes to UV resin. You don't need a ton. You want to go as light as you possibly can because what will, what will happen and what will get away from you is you'll put some on your on the fly and it will start to sag in any particular direction. And it, it's, it, 
you want to go less is more. And so don't be afraid to take some off. Don't be afraid to wipe it off. Don't be afraid to use the, the, te- the liquid tension that it has to like pull more material away and then cure it. And then put even a lighter coat over the top of that. That That's something that oh, so I've had a lot of coats. Yeah. You either go super, if you want it thicker, don't do one big blob, do a couple coats to get to the thickness you want. And even then you don't need a ton. You really need as, as little as possible. So, like, if you're tying a copper john, that's a classic uh, epoxy or UV resin fly. The tendency is to take a big old glob of it and plop it on. And so, what's best is not even a glob, but just a light coating of something super thin, and then cure it, and then maybe do one more coat to fill in the gaps, and then cure it with that because it will look cleaner, it will sink better, it won't tumble as much or twist as much because everything's all in line. Um, so th- that would be uh, a good tip with the UV resin. Um, and then if you want to still kind of stay in the same vein of that is, uh, when you use any a pigmented resin, cause that's become very popular nowadays, either from Gulf or Rapids, like or Loon has some and Solares has some of these pigmented resins that are different colors. That pigment is awesome but it also inhibits the curing process because it doesn't allow it it creates some opacity it's not as transparent as obviously clear resin and so be mindful when you're using that i got in trouble using black uv resin and i put a big blob of it on there and then the surface would cure but underneath would not go super thin with it get as thin as you can and then also the tip i'd give with that besides just going thin like i did do with normal resin is put it down on a different surface, like a sticky notepad, and then use either your bodkin or a toothpick or something to pick it up so you have a lot more control with that material. Because when you have it just on the brush or squeezing out of a bottle, you might squeeze too much. There might be an air pocket in there. Um, I've had it sometimes, which is, it's terrible when it happens, but you'll have, uh, you'll you feel like you wiped off the brush, but there's a, there's like a drop on the shaft of the brush. And as you're putting a little drop on the fly that drop runs down the shaft of the brush into the bristles and then it lands on your fly. And then you have this big old black blob on your fly or or pink blob or chartreuse blob or whatever color you pigment you have. So I always take it and put it on something like a little piece of foil or a sticky notepad or the upside down of like one of those cups you get at like a, um, like a takeout place, you know, those like sauce cups. I bought a bunch of those on Amazon, so I'll turn one upside down and then I'll put a, like a little drop on on there and I'll pick that up with the toothpick or a bodkin. And it just helps your control because again, the, the thing you'll hear from almost every competitor in the world from domestic guys like Norm McTyma and Lance Egan and Devin Olson and even European and Australian and all those guys is thin, 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 thin. Yeah, if you're thin, tying to your flies, thin to win. Yeah. That's it. That applies to everything. Thin leaders, thin tippet, small tippet rings, thin flies. Uh, it's huge. I, I, until you start fishing a bunch with them and you can start telling the difference and feeling the difference, a thin fly makes a massive difference. Perfect. Perfect. And then, and you mentioned a number of resources. You want to just highlight a couple there, that, you know, as far as you're being with the focus on fly tying. Yeah. With the focus on fly tying, um, Obviously, fly fish food, we mentioned them a bunch. And then just follow, just pull on that thread, and they'll take you to a lot of places. Um, 
a good uh, overseas tire that I'm sure everyone knows is uh, Davy McPhail. He does a ton of stuff. And his, I mean, I grew up t- learning how to tie flies from him, essentially, him and Jay Nicholas. And yeah, those so, are two good guys. Th- those are really good guys. Um, but but for Euronoping specifically, let me see here. There's there's a few guys out there that are really good. And so that I always try to like clock in and check. And so. Like through through, through uh, like YouTube mostly? Yeah, I'm doing a lot of stuff through YouTube. This is where I learn. But like books that I like are like um, Devin Olson's book, Tactical Fly Fishing is really good. Uh, there's a few patterns in there. Um, that's something that I would push on to anybody. Um, oh, and so for a YouTube channel, Lindsay Simpson is really good. He sounds like Sean Connery, so it's oh, awesome. Cool. <laughs> His flat time videos. Um, trying to think here if there's anybody else that like just jumps out at me that's uh, that produced it. It makes it hard. That gives us plenty of firepower for sure. I think. I mean, those are you've mentioned a number of great people. So I'll, uh, yeah, I'll put I'll put links yeah. out to everything we talked about today and. And I guess, yeah, the best place, Garrett, to find you is just uh, OregonFlyTying.com or it, it, on, are you on Instagram, Garrett uh, Lesko? Yeah, just Garrett Lesko on Instagram. And then you can find me on Facebook too as well. Um, and then if you message me through either one of those locations or go through the website and just email me, my email is just Garrett Lesko at Gmail. So it's just my name at Gmail. Okay. Perfect. Um, perfect. And, uh, and, you're, and you mentioned, so you're 26 now? Yes, yeah, just 20, turned twenty six a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Because I remember seeing you. Yeah, I think at some at some of the the Albany shows, and I can't remember how long. It seems like that's been an ancient time ago when we did that because of COVID. But uh, I guess it's been a couple years, right? Yeah, it's been it's been two years now. And and the thing was is when I reached out to you initially, I I think we know a lot of the same people, but just not. We just never knew each other. So like I mentioned, um, Jay Nicholas, and I become. Uh, close friends with Jay. And then like, I know I've gone into the Atlantic salmon fly and like old traditional steelhead world because of my mentor, Garen Wood. And so I, uh, like, I know I'm trying to think, Oh, uh, Dave McNeese. I've become pretty close yeah, to Dave McNeese. McNeese. Yep. And, and there's just people that I've, I've just met over the years that, uh, turns out what's well, something I've learned, at least in fly fishing is everybody, you know, knows someone, you know, and so, yeah. Right. Uh, we probably know a lot of the same people and with, yeah it's a small world it's a small it's world a very, it's sure. a very small world you gotta i gotta keep reminding myself about that fly fishing is very small but it's it's fun it's awesome oh yeah it's cool that it's a small world yeah and, and i try to keep it you know my focus when i think about listeners is you know i try to think of really north america you know that's kind of the bigger area with you know we have people that yeah. listen around the world as well so i try to you know, probably some of the people you talked about as far as kind of Europe, you know, there's people listening now that are over there and, you know, they may yeah. not have fished here before. I do have a cool, well, let's see, I guess Charles, uh, Charles Jardine, um, he's already been on. I'll put a link to that as well. He's kind of, people call him the lefty cray of the UK, uh, but, uh, you know, there's, there's just some cool, there's a lot of great people out there. There's no way I'm going to connect and interview all of them. So, um, so no, I appreciate you coming on here. Before we get out of here, Garrett, just give us. Uh, I always love to get a little taste of the music. Uh, what, what you know when you're tying flies or you listen to? Do, do you have a band or a type of music you like? Uh, so yeah, I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of music, a lot of different types of music, and I and I say I I, I listen to just about everything, and so I kind of go through phases. And so my girlfriend and I actually went through a phase where we we're really into Marty Robbins. Oh yeah, for like for Marty, like a long time. Now Marty Robbins is um that, that's like country, old country. 
yeah, old country ballads. And I'm not a country guy at all. Like, I don't listen to country hardly ever. And so, but I really liked him. And so I listened to that for a while. But if I had to pick any, if, I, if I'm tuning the radio, it kind of depends on my mood, but it tends to be either just like top 40 or um, like classic rock. I like really 70s and 80s rock a lot. So I do that. And then every once in a while, I'll listen to like Spanish music. So I listen to uh, like tune to a local Spanish station in the summertime. Um, and I don't understand it like hardly at all, but it's just, it has a, it has a good energy when you're, you've got the windows down, it's really hot out, you're driving to the fishing spot. It, it's, it has that energy that, that I like with that. But most music I listen to, like I really like Queen. Queen's a great, I love Queen. Um, I love Rat. If you've listened to Rat at all, um, Round and Round and Trade Out of the Cell, those are great. Like that hair metal kind of metal stuff. Oh, yeah. There's a rat. Some of those bands like Rat, they don't necessarily have a, I mean, does it? Ha- do they have one song that people would know of? Probably Round and Round. Oh, yeah, Round and Round. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Or like um, Deep Purple. I'm trying to think. Like for being 26, it's, it's a pretty deep pull for all this stuff. But, <laughs> but like, black like yeah i like i like music like that it's it's i know the lyrics to that it's fun it's they're short songs you know they had to fit on an on an lp at the time so they had to be you know in that that uh two inch and so it was it's good my dad's a huge audiophile and so i've gotten a lot of music from him you know his favorite band is rush and so i listen to a lot of rush too and so, so so there you go if you want to find all the show notes all links and everything else we covered today just head over to wetflyswing.com slash 236, 236. If you found this podcast helpful, please share it on social and leave a five-star review. If you get a chance on whatever app you're on right now, you can uh, head over to wetflyswing.com slash love. That'll quickly allow you to click over and, um, and leave a review on a uh, few of the big apps out there. I want to thank you in advance if you have been able to do that. I'm going to bust out of here quick and get on to the next one because I still got some uh, some more uh, editing to do. So I'm going to be uh, going on and moving to the next one pretty quick. So uh, definitely I want to thank you again for sticking around and hopefully maybe uh, catch up with you on the river or maybe online. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.